0: As I was thinking about uh, this week and just our sermon series on generosity and all of that, I was thinking about some uh, great quotes about money. And one of them was Will Rogers. Uh, he said, uh, too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Yeah, and isn't that true? I mean, isn't that true? And then one of my favorite quotes about money is from Steve Martin. He says, I love money. I love everything about it. I bought some pretty good stuff. I got me a $300 pair of socks. I got a fur sink, an electric dog polisher, a gasoline powered turtleneck sweater, and of course, I bought some dumb stuff too. <laughs> Wait, it'll come, okay. Now, I thought that was, that's a really funny quote that he says, but actually, I, I actually Googled electric dog polisher. They actually make those. So you can actually get an electric dog polisher if you need one. But besides that, I just wanted to continue our series today on Living a Generous Life. This is a five-week series. This is week three. We already set some groundwork. But I I want us to talk today about first and best giving. Because I think there's a lot of confusion about this. Even growing up in what I consider still to be good churches, I was taught maybe some things that weren't quite right about first and best giving in the New Testament. And what does it mean from a New Testament perspective to be a first and best giver? What does that even mean? Why is it even important or is it important? I think these are good questions. Let's start by looking again at our sermon series passage. This is a passage we're looking at every single week. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Here's what it says. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So we see that God wants us to give out of a heart of cheerfulness, how do we do that? What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about kind of five steps of giving, and these aren't biblical steps. We just want everybody to understand uh, that wherever you are in your spiritual life, one of the goals of Fellowship of Grace is to help all of us move forward. Every single person here uh, should be challenged to take their next spiritual step uh, in a pretty consistent way. Uh, there are people here uh, in this room who are uh, still just questioning about Jesus. Who is this guy? What does he mean to me? What can he do for me? Uh, Is this real? And and I just want you to take a first step. Uh, For some of you who are here who are uh, fairly new Christians, maybe been baptized recently and, and really gave your life to Christ recently, we want you to just begin taking some baby steps toward becoming a cheerful giver. For some in this room who've been giving kind of haphazardly, we want you to become a consistent giver. Uh, For those who are being consistent in some manner or form, uh, the possibility of being a tithing giver, which we understand this tithing word to mean 10%. If you're a tithing giver and you have been for some time we don't want you to stop there uh, we want you to take another step and become an expanding giver and uh, not only tithe but give to other things that uh, expound God's kingdom uh, that minister to people in need and our hope is that one day all of us can be extravagant givers wouldn't it be awesome if all of us worked our way asked for God's blessing to be in a position at some point later in life where we would not only have enough money to support God's work through the local church, but we would have enough excess to bless others as we meet them in need, to be able to reach out to people and just bless their lives. We want us all to take steps toward that. But today, we're going to be really focusing on this middle step, being a tithing giver. What does that mean? Now, in many Christian circles, there's a debate about whether or not tithing is still a kind of a, a thing for Christians, some, they preach it, they swear by it, uh, they're almost legalistic about it, or actually legalistic about it, believing that as soon as you give 10% of your gross income, you're good with Jesus, I, we were talking about this one time in a community group, and somebody totally freaked out, because they said, oh, gross income, I've only been doing my net income, is God okay with me? But that kind of thinking process is probably not good. Others would argue that that's only for the Old Testament. And now we give out of a cheerful heart. We give out of grace. So if I want to give out of grace at 1% and that's all my heart says, I'm good. And Jesus should just be happy with it. Well, let's see from God's word how we should view tithing in the New Testament church. I think it's important that we understand this. Okay, first things first, and that's this. First, acknowledge God's ownership. Now, you might say, holy cow, you're preaching the same sermon over again. No, I'm not, but it's important that we always start with this. No matter what we talk about being, when it comes to generosity and money, we always need to start with this, acknowledge that God owns everything. Look what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 89, verse 11. It says, the heavens are yours, the earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Folks, the reality is every single thing that we are and every single thing that we own belongs to God. We don't own anything. Now, God has placed us uh, in a position to manage his stuff, but it's still his stuff. Now, why do I bring that up again? I know I mentioned that in the first week, and I know Pastor Derek even talked more about it last week. But we want you to understand that this series is not, we're not preaching this series because the church needs your money, okay? We don't decide to preach these things as pastors because we need to increase the offering amount. Uh, maybe you'll look and see that our church is expanding out here and you're like, uh-oh, they're getting worried about the money. They're preaching about money. Nothing can be further from the truth, We need to preach these things and teach these things because we want you to experience God's blessings in your life by being a generous person. Let me tell you a little bit of history about Fellowship of Grace. In October 1st, we will celebrate our 12th birthday. We started 12 years ago. And one of the things that church planters, uh, somebody who starts a new church, one of the things that church planters have to think about is raising money. And I actually teach church planting for the North American Mission Board now and coach church planters. And one of the things that they tell them, I don't really tell them. In fact, I tell them to kind of ignore, them, but don't tell the North American Mission Board that I do this. Uh, one of the things that they tell them is they need to raise two to three hundred thousand dollars before they start a church. Now, with Fellowship of Grace, we raise a minimum, I mean not minimum, but a negative six thousand, five to six thousand dollars before we started. <laughs> You can tell that was a great strategy, wasn't it? Because we bought these drums 12 years ago. We bought a PA system and we bought a keyboard for our worship team. And we were in debt, five to $6,000. Now, we paid that off in three or four months. And we started with nothing, really. And as our church met, the people who were coming were giving more than our expenses were. Now, some may look at that and go, that's just nutty. That's crazy. That's That's kind of... Careless, isn't it? Well, no, because we as pastors, we believe this first point. See, the point is for us, if this is God's church, he's going to provide the money to keep it going. I'm not worried about whether or not you give or not. Whether you give or not to the church, I just don't lose any sleep over that at all, ever. Because I know that God owns it all. If God wants his church to keep going, the money's going to be here. Whether it comes from you or somebody else or some other way. We found out a few weeks ago or months ago that somebody uh, has a trust. And when this person passes away, who never attended our church, but attended the church that we merged with, when they pass away, we're going to get a chunk of money. We didn't know that. We, We didn't plan that. We didn't look for that. It just, God just did his thing. So the reason I want to tell you this and the reason why it's important for you not, to not only know this, but to know that we know this is because we want you to understand that we're not preaching these things to get something from you. We're preaching these things to get something for you. There's a big difference. Fellowship of grace doesn't need your money because God's going to work it out for us. But God needs your heart, which is attached to your money. So let's talk a little bit about tithing. Tithing is the Old Testament model of first and best giving. It means that in the Old Testament, they were asked to give their first and their best to the Lord. The word tithe actually means 10%. And so there's this uh, confusing view sometimes that God wants us to give 10% of our income. So let's look at how the Jews gave in the Old Testament. Very briefly. In Leviticus chapter 27 verses 30 through 32, it says this. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. Now, this was the national tithe for the Levites. The Levites were one of the tribes of Israel. The Jewish nation actually was a theocracy. Uh, So their government was actually the church. Uh, Not the church, but the nation of Israel. So the Levites, those of the tribe of Levi, were the national priests who conducted the national worship as well as serving as the nation's government. This tithe was compulsory. It was required. It was demanded. And in fact, if you wanted to keep some of your tithe that you saw in that passage, you wanted to keep some of your 10%, let's say you didn't want to give up every 10th animal, then you could keep them, but you had to give a fifth more in cash. So if that cow was worth a hundred bucks, you could give $120 to keep it. Other than that, you actually turn them over. Okay. But it's not only like a tax in the fact that it's required and compulsory, but it was like an offering because it had a spiritual connection. It was the Lord's. It belonged to him. And it was provided for the nation's worship and for the nation to exist. But wait, there's more. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 23, we see another tithe. The Bible says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. And before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. This was a national festival tithe. When it said you will eat your tithe, you will consume your tithe, this provided the food for all of the festivals and celebrations of the nation of Israel. But this was another 10%. But wait, there's more. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 28 and 29. At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are without your, within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Here was a tithe that was given every three years. So 10% added every third year. And, and this was for the poor. This was for the widows and orphans. This was for the Levites who didn't actually grow things. They were the nation's priests. They didn't grow things, so they got a portion of this. So if you believe uh, in Old Testament tithing, if you say, well, the Old Testament is just a principle that we should continue in the New Testament, you might want to think about this. Because really what it was was a national tithe of 10% annually, a festival tithe of 10% annually, and a tithe for the poor, which was 10% every third year, which actually kind of works out to 23 and a third percent annually of your annual tithe or in a sense, a tax. I say the word tax, I don't want you to think that it was a just a government tax because it did have a spiritual connotation to it. But it was compulsory. It was like taking it out of our check before we get it. It was very much like uh, and similar to the way that we pay taxes. Plus, there were many other offerings and taxes that were due. Like when you harvested a crop, you harvested it in a circle. And they were to leave the corners of the the crop field unharvested so that the poor could come by and take those and eat. So what does the New Testament teach Christians about tithing? What does it teach those who were far from God, those who were not Jews? What did it teach us about tithing in the New Testament? Not one thing. Now, I know for some of us who hear that, that makes the hair on the back of our neck stand up. But the only mention of tithing in the New Testament is either a historical reference to something that was done in the Old Testament or one passage in Matthew, chapter 23, verse 23, we're going to look at that because some people point to this verse and say that right there is New Testament uh, confirmation, That New Testament Christians should tithe, but I think if you see the verse and understand it, you'll understand that that's not what it's saying. Uh, Before we look at Matthew 23, 23, remember the Bible students cheer, which is? Context, context, context. Right. The Bible students cheer is context, context, context. It matters when it was stated, what was said, and what it was referring to. Let's look at Matthew 23, 23. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier issues, matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, some would point to this and say, Jesus right here said, you should do the big things of the faith, justice and mercy and faithfulness without forgetting to tithe your mint 10% and, and your spices 10%. But Jesus was not teaching on tithing here, folks. Okay? Jesus was saying, you guys have bad hearts. You, you want to you look at all the little things that you do that look so religious and holy and you just do your religious thing? but you don't do any of the big stuff. You're messed up. Your priorities are all off. Jesus wasn't teaching on tithing. And by the way, Jesus is speaking here before the resurrection. Remember when we look at history, everything from the beginning leads up to the resurrection and everything after the resurrection points back to the resurrection. It doesn't point and lead up to the birth of Jesus, but the resurrection. The birth of Jesus uh, uh, theologically changed very little. The resurrection changed everything. Changed everything. So Jesus was speaking here to Jews while they were still living under the law and his point was, you're neglecting the big things. So don't neglect the big things. While you're doing all the little stuff, don't forget to do the big things. This is not Jesus saying, and by the way, all you New Testament Christians, all you Gentiles who are just coming to the faith in about 30 or 40 years, you got to tithe too. Jesus wasn't saying that. By the way, after this, there is no mention of tithing in the New Testament. Not one single person mentions it one single time after the resurrection. now, at this point, I know there are some of you saying, Woohoo! I don't have to give 10% anymore! That's awesome! I'm free! But if that's your response, that's a reflection of a heart that's really trying to determine what is my minimum requirement of giving to be a good Christian? Folks, whenever we are thinking in terms of what's my minimum requirement, What do I minimally have to do to just get in the door to squeeze by to get Jesus to not hate me? What do I have to when we think like that, folks? We're thinking all the wrong things and we're asking all the wrong questions. The questions, the right questions are: how do I be more like Jesus? How do I grow to be a better reflection of Him? So if that's the wrong question, and and we can really say that tithing is not a New Testament principle. How do we get an idea of how Jesus would like us to give? Would he like us to give less than 23 and a third percent or more than 23 and a third percent or exactly 23 and a third? How do we get any kind of gauge on that? Well, let's look at the pattern that Jesus gave us. While Jesus doesn't specifically talk about tithing, he does always up the ante over the Old Testament law. Jesus always did this. And folks, this is a principle we need to really get Look at Matthew chapter five, verses 21 and 22. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. See, Jesus said, hey, listen, you've heard that it was said Not to do this. He didn't say, but I say, don't murder too often. He didn't lower the bar. He said, You've heard it was said not to murder. I say, Don't hate, which is even higher. Let's continue. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, Jesus doesn't lower the bar, Jesus raises the bar. Let's continue on, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 41. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Folks, it's important that we understand here that Jesus didn't say, hey, you're free from all this stuff. Just ignore it. Act like it doesn't matter. Let it go away. Jesus always said, you've heard it was said to do this in the Old Testament. But I say to you, move it up. move it, Do something greater. Here's why, folks. In the Old Testament, people who, who were following God through the nation of Israel did not have the Holy Spirit in them transforming them from the inside out. As Christians, after the resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, when we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into us and begins to change us. We should be able to do better than the minimum. We should be able to accomplish better than just getting by. If we allow God to change us and we yield to his spirit, we ought to be changed drastically. Jesus didn't lower the bar for a living. Jesus always raised it. So if we look back to that passage in 2 Corinthians that we are using for the passage for the whole uh, series, what do we see? Well, we see there that New Testament giving is in response to God's giving. We always have to keep in mind, folks, what God has given us and what he has sacrificed for us. The reality is we wouldn't be able to give him anything If we haven't already received, right? The only reason that we are in the position to even talk about or consider giving anything is because we've already received blessings from God. If everything belongs to him and he owns it all, then whatever we have, he has given it to us in some form and he's entrusted us to use it for his honor and his glory. So what has he given us? If we're going to respond, and we're going to try to somehow respond in kind to his giving, it's important that we understand what it is he's given us. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord Folks, this word wages says, you want to know what you deserved? You want to know what you have freely earned? You've earned death. You have earned the right as a sinner to be separated from God forever. That's what all of us have earned. Believe me, the last thing I want God to do is be fair with me. I don't want fairness from God. I want grace. One of the songs we sang this morning, uh, man, it just gets me every time as a, a former songwriter, I, sometimes songs just, uh, one phrase will grab me. And one of the songs we sang this morning, it says, God reaches out to us. And when I get to that point in that song, I have this picture in my mind of, of God, the creator of the universe, looking down and seeing us in our sinfulness doing our own thing, thumbing our nose at him. And what does he do? He makes effort, and in his love, he reaches down for us. He reaches out to us. We could do nothing to reach up to him, but he reached out for us. And this passage says, there is something that we have deserved, but God in his free giving... In his free giving, has decided to give us eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. And then we can't talk about this without looking at John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Last night, we had a parenting conference here. Uh, Grayson and Aaron Lynam are here. Aaron's an author, uh, wrote a book called 936 Pennies because on uh day that they were dedicating their child, we gave her a jar of 936 pennies. She wrote a book and now she's a famous big shot author. And uh, she came and they talked and uh, had some other people share. But what I, I, at the end of last night, one of the things that I said to wrap up was, you know, one of the, I think, one of the biggest things that we'll ever do in life I think one of the biggest responsibilities is to be a good parent. Listen, if you you have a great career, you open a business and have an incredible business and you make a lot of money and you're successful in all those ways, but you lose your children, what a travesty. I think one of the greatest things you can do is be a good parent. And one of the parts of being a good parent is to look after your kids, protect them, love them, care for them, Help them, minister to them, and hear God. I just always think about my own kids and my own grandkids when I talk about this. Here, God in his infinite love gives his one and only son to die a brutal death on the cross to pay for our sins. We who were lost in our sins couldn't do anything to get out of sinning, And God decides to love us enough to let his only son die on the cross to pay for our sins so that by faith and trust in him, we can experience forgiveness for our sins. We can experience eternal life and not have to pay the penalty for our sins because Christ has already paid it. God gave his first and best to us. What could he give us that was more? What could he give that was greater? Nothing. So what good is tithing? Should we even talk about it? Does it even make any difference? Well, I think it's okay for us to talk about it in the sense of it being a stepping stone in your generosity journey. But it's not the goal. It's not the finish line. And it's not the minimum to please God. It's none of those things. It's a spot on the generosity journey where we begin to understand that God gave his first and best, now I'm beginning to give my first and best in return. Because we give it proportionately. Uh, According to how much you make is how much you give. We give it consistently, because every time we get paid, we give. It's the highest priority in where our money goes, even before our bills and expenses. And we learn that principle. It is our first and best to remind us what God has done, and how we should respond to him. So think of tithing kind of like this picture. Think of this as a word picture for tithing. What do you notice about this bicycle? Well, it has training wheels. So if you're giving haphazardly or not giving at all or just kind of new at this whole giving generosity thing, Think of 10% as the training wheels of the New Testament. As we have seen in our sermon series passage in Second Corinthians, we should give as our heart has decided. And it's how our heart has decided after understanding what God has done for us. Wow. It's tying... It's tying our heart to our giving. It's tying our giving to our heart. So let me ask you a question. What is your heart saying? What is your heart saying? God has sacrificed his most important, in a sense, possession, his son, Jesus. What have we sacrificed and let me be clear, folks, some of us have worked our place to a position where we, we do tithe 10% of our gross income, maybe even a little more, and yet we really don't do without much. We really don't do without much. What have we sacrificed or what would we be willing to sacrifice in order to become more generous? Generous in order to communicate to God that we appreciate what he has given us. Here in a few minutes, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. And we have put the offering plate right there beside the Lord's Supper. And and we're not doing this to guilt you into giving more. Again, folks, we don't need your money. Listen, God has got it all. I am not worried about that. But we are doing this to help you tie you're giving heart to the reality that God has given his first and best to us. Now, what are we giving him? Now, what are we giving him in response to that? Are we giving our leftovers or our spare change? Or are we really giving our first and our best? When you come up here in a few minutes, I'm gonna ask Brian to come up here in a minute and and get ready to play but here's what I want you to do. I want you to come up and I want you to take the Lord's Supper first and then in light of that, place your offering in the plate. I want you to think through the process. God, you've given me your son, his body and his blood to pay for my sins. Now in response to that, I'm giving this to you because I love you. If you give online, I just want you to go over and touch the plate if you've already given today, and, I know some of you do that, just go over and touch the plate in an effort to just connect what you've done this week online to what you're doing now. Folks, we should think every time we come to the Lord's Supper, we should always think in terms of, this is what you've done for me, how should I respond? And every time we receive an offering in this church, we should say, thank you, God. Wow, thank you for what you've done for me. This is not enough. This is not enough but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna sacrifice, but it's not enough because of what you have done for me. Folks, we've got to understand that. God created this whole situation where he has given to us and we can give back to him. Let me pray for us and then I'll ask you to stand. And we'll take the Lord's over. By the way, if you're here today and you're a guest, if, if you are a guest with us and you'd like to take the Lord's Supper, if you have given your life to Christ by putting your faith and trust in what he did on the cross to save you, we invite you to participate with us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this representation of the sacrifice of your son Jesus. Father, we thank you that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he passed it around to his disciples and he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and then after dinner when he took the cup and he passed it around and he said this is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you father as we come and remember what he has done for us what you have given to us father we pray that you would help us to become generous people that we would not respond with just our cash, but we would respond with our hearts. Our money would be a reflection of our heart. Father, change us today. Help us to walk out of here more grateful, more humbled, more responsive, and ready to be more generous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. let me just share one other thing with you before we leave today and I know that some of you have some blanks you gotta fill in or you won't be able to rest this afternoon live for eternity while enjoying today while I believe strongly that God wants us to grow in our generosity I think that's a biblical principle one might think well if all this first and best stuff is true really I should just sell everything shouldn't I? I'll just give it all to the kingdom of God, give it all to the poor, and I'll be done, right? It's not very practical, folks. But I think there's a principle there that we should understand. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. God's word says, "'Honor the Lord with all your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. "'Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine.'" Now we don't preach here, as some of our TV preacher friends would preach, that God gives us dollar for dollar blessing and and uh, multiplies it. And if you give him five thousand, he'll give you ten. And if you give him ten, he'll give you twenty. Don't believe the Bible teaches that. What we do believe is, if we, we become generous people, God will somehow bless us. That is a biblical principle, but that no one can die can can deny. It may not be dollar for dollar. It may be in ways we don't even understand. I can't believe my van's still running. It's unbelievable. It's just a blessing of God. But here's the thing, folks. You can honor God with all your material possessions, the material possessions that you have and that you're still managing for him. Give your home to him to be a place where the gospel is shared, where you share love and peace with other people. When Julie and I built our home 25 years ago and when we moved in, we stood in our living room and held hands with our kids, and we prayed, and we said, God, thank you for this incredible blessing. This house belongs to you, and everything that we do in it, we pray, will be honoring and glorifying to you. Give your car car to God. Help people. Use it to minister to people. If you see someone in need along the side of the road and you feel safe, bless them. Help them. Give all of your money to him, by keeping it in your pocket while constantly understanding that it is God's to do with as he pleases so that as you see someone in need, you can help them. So the reality is, folks, God wants us to honor him with everything that we have. And being a generous person doesn't mean giving every single thing away so that you have to be a pauper and live in a cave somewhere and not earn any more money. But what it does mean is that we recognize everything is his. We respond to him in ways that are that are generous because of what he has done for us, and we position ourselves to become more generous. Those are his principles. The bottom line for us is: are we gonna live as a hose or as a sponge? Are we going to live, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, are we going to live in a way that allows God's blessings to come into us so that we can give them out to others and be a constant conduit of God's blessing? Or are we going to be a sponge and just soak them up until we are just fully soaked and we can take no more and keep them all for ourselves? We can can only live one of these two ways, folks. Do you want to be a hose? or a sponge. I hope today has helped you to understand the biblical principle of tithing and how we talk about it differently in the New Testament. It may be a measure of where to get to or a small step, but it's not the end. It's not the the finish line of being generous. Being generous is way farther than that. It's in response to what God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you For this time we've had to be together, we thank you for the way you're blessing this church. God, help us to always rely on you. Father, help us to become more generous people. We pray that we will live as a conduit of your blessings to others. I pray that you will bless me in a greater way, bless this church in a greater way so that we can be a conduit to bless many others. We can share the gospel around the world. We can share and meet needs of people around the world. God, we don't want to be a sponge. We don't want to just soak up your blessings and keep them for ourselves. And so, God, we ask and pray that you would give us wisdom as we we grow in our generosity, help each person here today to leave here determined to take their next spiritual step in generosity, no matter where they are on the continuum. I pray that they would be encouraged to do that, first and foremost, because of what you have given us, your Son, Jesus Christ. You have given us your first and your best. God, help each one of us to give our first and our best back to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.